This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so today's topic is charity. And uh, first of all, we want to welcome Torah Anytime, which is the camera that you see right here. Um, where you get, like I said before, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people are sitting and they're watching it. One of my classes, I had a girl accidentally walk fast by in the back in one of the girls' class, right? I told her she's going to get shit up resumes now going on for the next day. Who's that girl behind, you know, they're walking in the, in the class? So every, you know, this, while you have only a certain, we have what the amount of people we have in this room, there's times up by hundreds that actually uh, get to see it. So we'll begin with, uh, um, uh, charity is a very interesting uh, topic because... Usually people are scared of charity. For example, is if they see a collector, they always, that's come to the synagogue, what do they always do? Alright, let's try to avoid eye contact, maybe he won't see me, you sit all the way in the front, and you try to, and if he comes and he cards you in the corner, you're like, alright, fine, here's a quarter, here's a dollar, whatever you get. So, uh, tonight's goal is to uncover some of the, some of the secrets and some of the fundamentals of charity and how it bases in Judaism. So, to begin, there is, uh, there was, I want to start with a story. There was once a uh, doctor that worked in the Dominican Republic. Now, in the Dominican Republic, in that area that he worked, there was no hospital for about an hour and a half where he worked. And he worked in this clinic that had basically no machines, no anything. It's like a, it, he says the story as if he traveled back in time. Now, he sees, they see a, about, you know, 70 patients a day. It was two doctors on staff, one nurse, and then there's one person that's overcharging, oh, you know, overrunning the whole, the whole thing. There are people that literally would walk a day barefoot just to go see the doctor, and most of them were like illness beyond uh, any repair. So one time, he, uh, there, was a, there was a woman that came to him, and uh, this woman, so in Dominican Republic, the, the language that they speak is Spanish. Now, nearby, there is Haiti from my understanding, right? The Haiti is nearby. Haiti does not speak Spanish. Haiti speaks uh, like a French, French Creole. So they, there were some people that came from Haiti into that, into that country. So the, the, you know, the Spanish was a little bit broken. They go and they, um, there was a sister that comes into the clinic one day and the, the sister's hand was severely severed. It was like cut very deep and blood was gushing everywhere. She had a, she had an accident and she came with, you know, her younger brother and they, they saw her that it did not look good. She was losing so much blood that they quickly ran. They started putting her in IV fluids and they started trying to, you know, keep, you know, try to keep her with that, whatever they have. She was going into, into something called shock. Shock is when you lose so much, uh, blood that your body starts, you know, acting very differently than it's supposed to and not the way that it's supposed to. So they realized that if they would need to save her, they're going to need to do a transfusion. Now, being that this clinic is back in the who knows how many you know years in technology, the only way that for them to do a transfusion, transfusion again is taking blood from somebody else and putting it into them. They were lacking. She was losing a lot of blood. So the only way that they were able to do it is only if they would find another recipient that's a match to their blood, set them on the bed next door, and literally with a wire go from this patient's blood bring it to the other patient's blood, going from one to another. So they tried to look for a match, and they couldn't find any uh, any match. They they went to, the little, to this little, uh, you know, this, this her younger brother, and said, listen, um, you know, you're the closest match that we have. We're the only, you're the only one that will be able to, to save, you know, your sister. And uh, the, the, being that the doctor spoke Spanish, but the, pa- this, this, the patient and her brother, they spoke very little Spanish, very broken Spanish. So... He asked her, he said, uh, is there, he asked the doctor, this little boy got, gets very quiet. He gets very quiet and then he, you know, very serious and he, he gets very white also. And he asks this uh, doctor and he says, is there any other way? And the doctor slowly shakes his head, no, this is the only way to save your sister is if we're able to take from your blood and give it to her. And he sits down for a moment, not answering. He's like turning pale and then he suddenly, he thinks about it for like a moment and then he looks up and he says, fine, let's do it. And the doctor says, okay, sounds good. They go and they, they hook up this little child to the, it's not a little child, it was a younger kid. They hook him up to the IV and they attach the other IV to his sister and they transfuse the, the blood from the, from the younger sibling to the older sibling. When the, um, when the transfusion was finished, they could see that the sister was starting to get more, you know, color to her face. She was looking more alive. So, you know, they took the IV out of the little, uh, out of the, of the younger sibling, and they went to the, and they took it out of the, of the older sibling, and she was starting to get back to, to a little bit back to herself. The, thank you. The little boy then looks up at the doctor, and he says, you know, in a very calm manner, in a broken Spanish, he goes up to the doctor and he says, when will I die? 
and the doctor freezes for a second. He's very confused. And then he realizes that the little boy thought that the only way to save... Thank you. So, no, no, it's fine. It's good. Thank you. So, there, the little boy literally thought he was giving his blood, all of his blood, to his sister in order for her to survive. Right? This little boy was w- willing to kill, to die for his sister. All he needed was one minute to think about, to think about, okay, you know, what's the, what's her, what's her probability of survival? And when they told her that it's none, he says, do it. And he goes to the doctor and says, when am I going to die now? And the doctor for a second wasn't sure where, and then he caught up for what he was talking about. He's like, no, 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 you're, you're not going to die. You're, you're okay. We just took a little bit of the blood. You're, you're going to live and your sister is going to live. Look at how, you know, people are, when people go in there, they, they, a lot of people have a lot of kindness in them. They're able to do it. Sometimes the wallet stays closed shut, right? Like in the olden days with the Velcro. A little kid, you know, rip it open. Sometimes it's glued shut, right? And really there's a lot of, there's a lot of good inside people. The question is, is now how do we get that out? How do we go and, 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 uh, and tap into that, that, uh, that kindness? There was once a uh, story more like a joke. There was a, there was a certain rabbi that was run, running over a fundraising campaign. Before certain holidays, rabbis, it's called Maoschitin. Usually in a Pesach, they go, and Pesach is a very expensive holiday. There's a lot of wine, matzot, all these things are very expensive. So they go and they make a campaign for, every synagogue usually makes a campaign to collect money to help the poor people. So usually the rabbi makes a whole speech about it. A whole speech about it and, and you know, basically to make people donate money. And, uh, after he comes up from the speech, the, his wife, the rabbi, asks him, and he says, "So, how was the? You know, was it successful?" So he says, "The rabbi answered, we're fifty percent there.'" She's like, "Wow, fifty percent!" He's like, "Yeah, we were, we got the poor people to. They were willing to accept the money. Now we just got to get the rich people to give it, right?" <laughs> so there are many people that they they you know they want to accept, but there's nothing. There's nobody. Nobody's willing to give. There is uh, uh, even more than that. It's it's even harder to collect for a good cause. If you have a retarded cause, right, uh, you know, we want to send little Jimmy to space because it's for his whatever, millions of dollars for sure for this little cute kid, why not, right? But there are poor people starving in like Africa or whatever it is, and they're like, okay, for a quarter a day, you could possibly give this person some stale bread. And nobody get, it doesn't get any money, right? Lahabda, I'm not even using Jewish sources. So Jewish, Jewish sources should be a, a lot different. There is a Mishnah in Pekei Avot, right? The second, the first chapter, the second Mishnah. It says, Shimon HaTzadik haya misharei Knesset HaGdola. Huaya Omer, he used to say, Al shlosha ha-dvarim ha-olam omed. Three things on the world stands. What are those three things? Ala Torah, that's learning Torah. Ala Vodah is, is Avodah, which service, which literally is also nowadays is prayer. And Gimilut Chasadim, which is acts of kindness. So the world right now, as we know, it stands on three legs. Those three legs are learning Torah, praying, and acts of kindness. Now the, the, the trademark, if you look at Abraham and you look at what it was his, our forefather Abraham, what was his trademark in, in all that, uh, that he did was kindness. It was chesed. He was all about chesed. He was all about opening his, his house to everybody, you know, trying to, not only was he for the physical chesed, he was also for the spiritual chesed. Because when they came in and they wanted to go and get uh, some food, he used to give them for free. All visitors in his hotel were free. The only thing that you had to do was thank God afterwards. And that's it. So he helped them both physically and spiritually. Now, if somebody is so cruel, shows no compassion, has no of this ability to do chesed, to do kindness, then he has to check his, his heritage. It's very possible that he's not Jewish. Because the Jewish essence, the Jewish fundamental is kindness. We live off kindness. Now, if you look at the, the amount of people that have money throughout the world, right? Uh, Jews rank, Baruch Hashem, very high in that, in that uh, category, right? And, I'm going to say some stat- statistics over here. I read it from a third source that quotes it from Forbes. So I can't validate its authenticity, but it sounds a little bit about right. And this is based off their interpretation of what Forbes says. I couldn't find it on Forbes. It says more than 100 out of the 400 billionaires on the Forbes list, which are the wealthiest people in America, are Jews. Six of the 20 leading venture, venture, I'm sorry, venture capital funds in the U.S. belong to the Jews, according to Forbes, right? But, but granted, they consider Jews if their father is Jewish or the mother is Jewish. It doesn't matter. For example, they use a Google founder, right? Sergey Brin. His father is Jewish. His mother is not. They considered him as a Jew, right? So, so granted, some of these people are not Jewish, but they have some sort of Jewish in them, and they have so much money. And then they quote, you know, they have people in Hollywood. You have in Congress. You have in Silicon Valley, in Wall Street. You have all the big money. Jews are involved in it. Jews have a lot of money. Baruch Hashem, right? Now, the question is, the question is, if Jews would be able to give all the, you know, the, the amount of money that we have, we wouldn't have to collect charity. We wouldn't. The amount of money that there is in the Jewish world, 
right? Granted, most of them are not religious, and most of them do not really give ma'asel 10%, let alone, you know, maybe not even 5%, or probably even 1%, but many do. The question is that if we would be able to get all those to give, there would be no shortage of, of, uh, of there would be no need to collect money. Everybody would, there would be sufficient money for everybody. There are, there, you know, people think that when they give money to a certain cause, that they did a favor to the other person. You know, someone comes to collect you. People don't understand that it is a privilege to go and to, to, uh, to give money to somebody else. So much so, there are many people that give to ridiculous causes. They'll donate to a college. Let's open up a college fund, right? And they open up this college fund and they'll donate millions and millions of dollars. So maybe, and they're Jewish and they want to donate to this Jewish college, so maybe six or seven or ten Jews will get a college degree. And then what? Are they going to be getting any, uh, you know, guaranteed panasa? Absolutely not. They're giving this for a very, you know, smart businessmen would look at any investment and they calculate many things, right? Number one is what is the rate of return? Number two, what is the risk value? Right? How much risk am I putting in here? And they'll calculate so many other factors. But yet, when it comes to giving charity, they do the stupidest thing sometimes. They give to the places that don't give them the most value, the most bang for their buck. There are, uh, there are certain things that we're going to soon see that are worth a lot, a lot of points in heaven. Those are the things they should be donating for. Granted, everything else is important. I'll give you an example. Somebody that donates to a, uh, a hospital, right? Right now, there are... The, the, the way that the healthcare system is working out, hospitals are falling apart, they're getting bought out from other hospitals, and it's a, it's a very you know, crazy thing that's going on with uh, the field, right? And we have a lot to thank to our uh, holy, holy uh, uh, president who decides that he is going to change America, right? And then we have another one that's going to make America great again. Everyone's changing something, right? Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu could change, right? Could change uh, things, right? Everybody else could, could promise whatever they want. And nothing's going to happen unless God decrees on it. But in any case, so the hospitals are falling apart. So this guy decides he's going to donate a million dollars to a hospital, right? Keep it on its feet. Now, this hospital, because of his million dollar donation, right? So they, they were able to stay on board for a little bit longer and then they, whatever. They, they, let's say he saved five people. Five people he was able to save from, from death, right? Let's just give a number, right? Because again, you're giving a million dollars, right? First of all, most of that is probably going to the executives, right, in the, in the hospitals, and the CEOs, right? Well, how, how much is actually trickling down to the actually patients? So he goes and gives that. Then you have somebody else who gives $5. $5 a certain charity, right? There are so many people out there, so many uh, uh, rabbis out there that make CDs. They make CDs for, uh, for their, you know, for the, you know, the speeches that they had, and they give it out. These are rabbis, usually the rabbis associated with Kiru, helping people come back to religion. And you spend $5, right? And those $5 just happened to go get five CDs that happened to go and bring back five people to Torah, right? They heard these CDs and they realized, one of the, what is the main reason that people are not religious? The main reason that people are not religious is the lack of knowledge. Because if they would know how important certain things are, are, how much value certain things are, it wouldn't be a question. Of course they would do it, right? If somebody would know how important Shabbat is, there's no way that he would ever violate Shabbat. Rather, people don't know the value of it. They don't understand the value of it. So they, whatever, play with their phone or smoke a cigarette or whatever it is that, that they do. But this person that paid $5 and saved five souls versus this guy that paid $1 million, this guy who paid $5, he just made so much more return on his money that it is crazy, endless crazy. Yet this guy... He thinks that, you know, he's got a big plaque on the, on the hospital, you know, his wing, you know, and he, every, every few weeks he walks past by and they ask him, are you coming to check in, visit somebody? He's like, no, 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 just coming to see something, right? He looks at his little plaque over there, smiles, and walks out, right? Meanwhile, this guy's gonna come to heaven, he thinks, oh, come on, God, you know, I saved probably millions of souls. He saved three, four, five people, maybe. Maybe, if anything. Then you have this guy who donates five dollars to this certain cause that is a, that is a real cause, and he comes to heaven thinking, what do I got? And then God shows him, not five people, generations of people, because these five people became religious. They had children. They are religious, and they had children. They are religious. By the time this person, you know, goes up to heaven, these people, there could have been a thousand people in here now that all became religious because of him, right? All their reward, all their mitzvot goes also to his credit, right? Now you look at that. Somebody who's smart needs to know how to invest. Needs to know how to invest his charity. You're giving it to a certain. You have to be smart about it. The, but the truth is that it's not so simple because you need privileges. You need privilege. You can't just yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example. To come to a, a, a Torah class, right? Hashem, we have a nice amount of people over here, right? You think that you just decided, okay, I'm going to go to a Torah class and I'm going to go. So you have to have the schut to come here, right? There's so many people that wanted to come and they couldn't come, right? And then you ask them, the, you know, tomorrow, why, why weren't you able to come? Oh, you know, I had a birthday party. The stupidest excuses, right? Oh, it's hanging out, uh, you know, the dry, uh, whatever, you know. 
you guys are sitting here for what, for like an hour. You're going to get so much reward for just sitting here and learning Torah. And somebody else is going to go and waste his time singing happy birthday to his great-grandmother's uncle's cousin's, uh, you know, nephew, right? That he met once, right? We put a little hat and they sing happy birthday, a little sparkle. Great night, right? Meanwhile, this guy's wasting his life away. Wasting his life away. And he thinks... I have an excuse. I have an excuse. People don't understand there's a privilege. You have to have a privilege to come to a Torah class. You can't just... There's so many people that want to come that they can't come. You're a Bochum, you get here, you have a privilege. So too is to donate to the right causes. You need a privilege. Right? There's a reason why God takes... There's all these rich people that have so much money. And they give, they give donations. But God sends them to places that not really value that much. These people are not... They don't deserve the reward. You have to deserve the reward. Forget about just giving it. You have to deserve it. Now, if let's say... You had, uh, th- that's why, by the way, according to many, many uh, rabbis, what is the greatest place to give to charity? The greatest place to give to charity is to give it to a Torah institution. Even if you go, let's say, to, uh, to let's say, a, um, you want to pay the electric bill for this place for the month, right? That is a very, very high level of, of, uh, of you know, of charity. You guys are all we're, all, we're all gathered here. One of the reasons we're gathered here today is we're working on, on building our own place. You know how much that's worth? You know how much that's worth? If you would have told me it's just for prayers, that's one thing, right? But that's not the main reason why I think that this thing that you guys are building over here is going to, is, is worth a lot. It's for the Torah classes that you guys have. You know how many people started keeping Shabbat because of these things? You know how much it's, and, and people are going and they're donating to different things. The value of money is right here. The value of money where you get the highest rate of return is right here. If somebody were to ask you, you have two options. You could save somebody physically or fa- save someone spiritually. What would you think would be uh, the better bang for your buck? Spiritually. You're saying that because I'm here probably and you're sitting in a... Uh, maybe no, no. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll give you... Baruch Hashem. When the spirit is holy or healthy, the body has more opportunity. That's true. That's true. But I'm talking about, let's say, somebody who is has is about to die. And then you have somebody here, right? It's a very hypothetical situation because it can't, you know, obviously happen. And this guy, he says, you know, if you give me, you know, like $5, I'm going to become religious for, you know, ever. And then you have another person over here that he needs $5 to save and all you have is $1, right? The value is, right, it's a very hypothetical situation and, and you can't take it to heart, right? The real person you should give it to is if you have an option to save too, you save the person that's spiritual. That's spiritual, right? Not the thing to say that if someone's dying, you'd be like... Well, I'm sorry, I got my priorities over here, dude, right? If someone's dying in front of you, obviously you have to take care of it. But the money, at the end of the day, the value and the, and the most, the reward that you will get is from the spiritual. Who says this? The Zohar. The Zohar. The Zohar and Pasha right? He says as follows. He says, if only, and I'm going to quote for you a little bit in English, if only the sons of men knew the greatness of the reward to those who follow the Torah, the righteousness, and those who bring the evildoers back to the good path, they would pursue after them like one who runs after life itself. If you would realize the reward that you get for breaking somebody religious, you would run after them your whole life, just trying to get them to become religious. If you realize the reward for it. He said, and, he, and he goes on and he, he explains how, you know, the, the value and the importance of it. People don't realize. People don't realize how much value this is, right? When you're looking at this community over here, there's so much work that needs to be done. There's so much work that, so, that people can, can become religious, right? You're looking at the, 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 you, a gold mine. You're sitting on a gold mine. There are, you know, there's more than that. Is also there's always, uh, and, and let me explain this first in, in, uh, in uh, let's say, let's use it in a speaker sense, and then we'll explain it more in the money sense. There are people that uh, will go to, let's say, a class. A group of people go to a certain lecture, right? And the guy speaks perfectly, and he really opens up, the, you know, the, the people inside. Everybody leaves the class, and they're like, wow, that was amazing, that was great. And then one guy says, eh, not my style. That speaker is not my style. Like, what's wrong? It was a great speech. He's like, yeah, no, nah, nah, you know, not my style. Nah, you know, and he says something, whatever, a little derogatory, right? Forever, in those eyes, all who he spoke to just ruined the speaker for him. Just ruined it, right? People don't realize, who are you to have opinions? First of all, what are you, a critic? Two thumbs up for this speaker, four stars. No one asked you, right? If anything, any speaker that comes here, any speaker that you listen anywhere, amazing speaker. Everybody speaks differently to everybody else. People have a different, uh, people like certain speakers, which is fine. And they're like, oh, you don't like a certain speaker, keep it to yourself. Don't start announcing it to everybody else. So you don't like, this guy's a fanatic, right? No one asked you. Keep your mouth hole shut, right? When you have good things to say, then you can answer, right? People give the dumbest information that's going to, and what happens? This person is going to go, and he says, you know what? This guy's a fanatic. I don't like him anymore. It's, it's free, they give him. Yeah, yeah, right? It's free. It costs no money. 
Because some people like to people like to speak a lot. <laughs> yeah, people don't understand that one bad word could ruin a whole hour of speech. Somebody could go and speak for one hour on Shabbat, and then one person decides, you know what? That's it. I'm keeping Shabbat. And then the other person that's sitting behind them be like, ah, this guy, what a crazy guy. You know, you hear how he screams nonstop. Don't believe everything he says. He says, uh, and there was once a rabbi that gave this example. He says that uh, he was giving, uh, he was giving, he once met, met this very, very wealthy person. This person was extremely wealthy. That the amount of charity that he gave annually was upwards of $50 million. So you're talking about somebody who made a significant amount of money to give $50 million of charity. So he was going for his, uh, you know, he had a certain cause, and he was a very, very good cause. And while he's speaking to him, he goes uh, to, this, to this rich man, he goes over to, uh, um, you know, he was speaking to him about it, and he says that he bought certain mezuzot. So he says, oh, let me check the mezuzot. He opens the mezuzot, mezuzot were not that good. They were barely kosher, if any, if kosher at all. So he says, you know, the, you, you bought a lot of mezuzot, you have a big place, you know, you bought, he used to also give out the mezuzot. He says, these are not that, you know, he says, I wouldn't even give these to people that are not religious. These are, not, are very, very low quality, if kosher at all. So he said, really? So he says, do you have maybe somebody, a sofel, that you could give me that I could order? Because then I'll order the good ones. Why am I giving out bad ones that are bad? He says, I'll pay a little bit more. He had the money. So he gave him the information. Then they were discussing about what he was collecting for. And um, the, his, his advisor goes over and says, give this guy a thousand. A thousand is good enough uh, for him. And he goes and he writes him a check for a thousand. Right? The next time that, uh, that uh, he comes to, to visit him, he, he finds out that he went over, this person, this wealthy man went over to his rabbi, or somebody that I guess you could try to call a rabbi, and he said, listen, somebody came over to me and said, and he checked him his and he said, it's not so good. And he said, oh, thank you. And he said, um, you know, this mezuzah, the rabbi said, this mezuzah are perfect, you don't need to buy anything else. But he said, but he said, maybe they're not so high quality. The rabbi said, don't worry about it, these are good. Right? And the rabbi, if this is the story is true, he was a fool. What, what do you mean? Is that how do you? He didn't even open it. He said, "Oh, don't worry." And the rabbi, furthermore, says, "Oh, don't don't speak to this guy anymore. You know, you don't need him anymore." The next time that this that this person came to to collect money from this wealthy person, they didn't even let him in the door. They gave him two hundred dollar check and they told him to to please go. Right? All from what? From a foolish advice that the so called rabbi decided to give his per, his his thing. And, don't worry about it. Don't listen to this guy. He's a fanatic. Right? People give the 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 information that could ruin ruin the other person forever. Ruin the other person. That other person could have donated, let's say, who knows how much, $50,000. Saved 500 people, their souls, spiritually. Got an endless reward. And whose fault that it didn't happen? Somebody who opened his mouth to give him advice that was not good advice. Right? People have to be, we have to be so careful with our mouth and how we speak. Additionally, one, one, you know, I'm speaking about a lot of wealthy people that they, that they, let's say you see them, they don't give. A person, first of all, I really should have said this earlier, a person can never judge. You can never judge a person. You see somebody who's very wealthy. Or so you think. I said, why this guy, how much money did he give, right? Let's see, let's see his donation check. Oh, come on, a thousand dollars? This guy drives a, you know, who knows what. You know, well, he could have gave him more than that. A person is never allowed to and should never judge somebody else for the amount that they give. You don't know. I'll give you a story. The story happened in, in Krakow, Poland, right? In the 17th century, there was, uh, there was once a, a person by the name of Israel. And this person was extremely, extremely wealthy. One of the wealthiest people in town. And he was so stingy, he would not give a cent to anybody. Like, not even a penny to anybody. And so much so that people started calling him, you know, is Israel the guy. Which means Israel, like, the similar, guy literally means nations, but, it, you know, translates of like, a non-Jew. Like, they said, what type of sick person is? So they called him Israel the guy. So, um, there, there was a, the, you know, this time, and nothing changed in all those years. Times, the time went on, and eventually he became older, and he was on his deathbed, this rich man. And he calls over the, the people that were in charge of the burial society, and he said, uh, listen, you know, I want to arrange a burial plot. So the people in the burial society, okay, fine, they figured, now's our chance. Let's try to get some, you know, to solicit some funds for the poor people of this, of this community. The community has so many poor people, and, you know, he had the funds, and he didn't, he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't open up his wallet for anybody. So they, they said, listen, they, when he came to ask them for, for a burial plot, they said, listen, there's no set price for a burial plot. Everyone gives according to what they're able to. And he says, we see somebody like you, you know, you, you know, with all due respect, we're going to be very blunt with you. Didn't give a cent to all your Jewish brothers. He says, for you, you're worth it, you're able to, we're going to charge you a thousand gold coins, which is a lot of money, you know, for, for a burial plot. So this uh, miser said, listen, he says, I was willing to pay a hundred gold coins, which is more 
than enough, and it will cover everything. I even have somebody that I, I paid him to make me the burial shrouds. And I even, uh, you know, have somebody that's going to say Kaddish for me. He says, all I need is a burial plot. A hundred gold coins is more than enough. I'm not giving you a penny more. They're fighting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They're exhausted. They leave. What do they do? Right? They have to bury this person. So this person, uh, a few days later, passes away. And uh, before he passed away, he said, listen, I'm giving you 100 gold coins. You don't want to bury me in the center of the, of the cemetery? Fine. You want to bury me in the far corner? Fine. There's only one request I ask of you. I ask you is on my tombstone. You write, here lies Israel the guy. So they were looking. They were like, this guy's out of his mind. You know, this is a derogatory statement that we're calling him. And he wants it to be written on his tombstone. So they say, fine. And a few days later, he passes away. He passes away and they uh, and they bury him, right? They don't put a tombstone on yet because the custom is you put this tombstone on later on. It doesn't go on uh, right when a person's buried. So he uh, he goes and he, he passed away in the beginning of the week. Comes Thursday, there is a knock at the rabbi's door. The rabbi, his name was Rabbi Yomtov Liepman Heller, right? Otherwise known as a Tosef Yomtov, very, very holy man. And he said, there was a poor man there, and he said, uh, you know, listen, maybe can you can help me for, sh- for Shabbat. I don't have any money. I need, to, you know, nothing for food, nothing like that. So Rabbi never saw this poor, poor person come to him before. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, he takes from, there's a, there's a communal fund, and he gives him the, um, you know, the money. Two minutes later, another knock on the rabbi's door. And he says, uh, you know, Rabbi says, uh, can I help you? He says, yeah, you know, uh, you know, um, do you have any chance any extra money for Shabbat? Do you have nothing? And this kept on going. Every few minutes, there's another knock on the door. So the rabbi's like, what's going on over here? How did everybody become so poor so instantly over the, you know, within, within last week, nobody came. This week, all of a sudden, I have so many people. So, you know, after the, the, you know, 50th person that comes in, he says, listen, he says, what's going on over here? What happened? What changed so recently? I never saw you before. So this uh, poor man said, to be honest, I don't know. He says every day uh, that we would need money, food for our um, family, we would go to the grocery store and we would just put it on a tab. And, and he said that, you know, it was always covered. You know, they said we paid whatever we can. Whatever we could, you know, was covered. So, and we came, you know, to buy food for Shabbat today. And the grocer said, I'm sorry, the, the tab is closed. We can no longer pr- pr- continue with this. So the rabbi said, you know, that's very odd. So he calls over all the, you know, the rich people of the city. They made a, the town meeting. And they said, what's going on over here? And everybody said, I, we, we don't know. It says, all our funds are dried. Everybody came today that they never came before. All our funds that we collected over the past few months to, for, for anything are all dried. Everybody came and collected, took everything. So they said, what's going on? So they called, they started calling the, the merchant. They called the butcher. They called all these, the grocer. They called all these people and says, what happened? Everybody had, a, had an account open and all of a sudden suddenly closed. So the, the butcher, the butcher says that, um, he says, I can't tell you. I'm sorry, but I can't tell you. So they gather a bunch of people and said, and the rabbi told them, said, listen, you're not leaving this room until you tell me. So, pressure, they said, um, you know, there was a certain person that came into our grocery store every week, and he told us, he said, anybody who can't have, you, you put a tab on it, and I'll cover the tab. And he says, you know, we had, this was going on for years, and he said, uh, you know, last week he passed away, and, uh, you know, we can't uh, continue like this anymore. So they said, who, who is this guy? So they told him, this guy Israel. And the entire place was silent. They were like, are you, are you kidding me? It's like, how? He said, this guy sustained the entire town without anybody even knowing that he was paying them. This guy gave the highest level of charity. One of the highest level of charities is not even knowing that the poor person, who is it getting from, right? And the condition that this rich man, he told the grocery, he says, he says, my only condition that I'm paying this bill is that you don't tell a soul that I'm paying for it. If you tell your soul, even your close family relative, you will never see a dime from me again. That was his condition. And he said, we, we didn't want to tell anybody, but he said, but now that he passed away, what could we, you know, what could we do? It's, it's, uh, you know, it's gone. So he said, uh, uh, so, so the, the rabbi, when he heard this, he stood up and he says, when it comes for a shloshim, right? Shloshim is the 30th day of the mourning period from when this pass, person passed away. He says, when the shloshim comes, he says, the entire town is doing a fast day. Um, he put a, a fast day, a public fast day for everybody. He says, and we're going to go to the grave and ask public forgiveness from this from this tzaddik, from this person who ever called him miser, everyone called him this non-Jew, everyone called him this, you know, is Israel the guy. He says, this guy was one of the most righteous people in town and we treat him that way, everybody's going to come to town and going to ask him for forgiveness. And there was one more thing that the rabbi did, is when they put on his uh, um, his pla- his uh, his monument, his, yeah, so they, they, a bit, by they, they, whatever he wished, that's what they did, right? He said he wanted to write over here, here lies Israel the guy, they said, fine. They just added one word, kadosh. 
Here lies Israel Goy Kadosh. Right? They put on the, on the, on the town. Right? You see people, they say, you look at them, look at this guy, look how much he's giving, right? Even if you're going and you're soliciting and you're collecting, right? You don't know what this guy's giving, right? Never, you're never allowed to judge somebody else, right? You're never allowed to and you should never should judge somebody else. You never know. You don't know what this person's sustaining. Either yes or either not. Regardless, is it's not your place to judge. There was, a, um, I'm sure you, you're all familiar, it's a very famous story. If you're, uh, anybody here ever heard of somebody by the name of Howard Schultz? He's the CEO of, right, of, uh, of Starbucks, right? Net worth of over $3 billion, right? A company worth of, what, $100 billion, whatever it is. So he actually once met a big rabbi in Israel, right? And this rabbi in Israel was the name of Rabbi Nesson Tzvi Finkel. He was the Rosh Shiva of, of uh, Mir. Amazing story that, that he, that this, if you go to Asia Torah, you'll see there was one article written by the CEO of Starbucks. Star, star, uh, star, Starbucks, yeah, yeah. He, he, one article written in a religious Kirov, you know, website. And this is it. He says, he says, uh, he brings a whole history of how his family, his father was working in a blue collar, you know, job throughout his life and didn't, you know, and then he, how he opened, he decided he wanted to open up, get into the coffee conglomerate and he, you know, whatever. And he describes all that. But the main point of the story is, is that he says that he once went to visit this rabbi in Israel. And he goes over to this rabbi in Israel. And they sat, there were a group of businessmen that were going to see this rabbi. So they sat in the waiting room for about 15 minutes until the rabbi was re- ready to see them. When the rabbi was ready to see them, he invited them in. And they didn't, no one told him that this rabbi has, he has advanced stage of Parkinson's disease. And it, he was shaking and his speech was, they were, they were embarrassed to look at him. So they all, you know, while he was talking to them, he, they all looked down. They didn't, they, they, they felt embarrassed to look at him how, how, you know, in his stage. So he banged on the table and he says, gentlemen, I want you to look at me. So they all, you know, looked. And then he asked them, he says, he says, uh, um, I want you to tell me, and he, he says, who can tell me what lesson we learned from the Holocaust? Right? So no one answered. So he looks around, so he picks on one person, right? And they all said that they felt like they were like in fifth grade, right? They got picked by the teacher. They said, tell me, what lesson can you learn from the Holocaust? So the guy thinks, and he says, um, you know, we will never ever forget. So the guy was like, come on, next person, Right? And then when the, when the businessmen realize that they're getting picked on, you know, by one and by one, everyone just like avoided eye contact, right? Like back in high school, like, oh, don't pick on me, I don't know anything, right? He goes, the rabbit goes up to the next person. It wasn't, it wasn't Howard Schultz, right? He goes to the next person and says, what, what's the reason that, what lesson can we learn from the Holocaust? So he says, uh, you know, with confidence, he says, uh, um, he says, we will never ever be a victim or a bystander again. We will stand up for ourselves, right? All the businessmen were like, yeah, that's a good answer. You know, we can pick ahead. The rabbi's like, come on, nothing. He's like, what lesson? What lesson can you learn? So the rabbi says, I'll tell you what lesson you can learn. He says, when we were going through the Holocaust, and, you know, you get to the, you know, the death camps, right? Many people thought that you're going to work. But everybody, you know, now we all knew that all these people are going, they're going to die, right? They were transported in cattle cars, right? For days, no ear, no light, no nothing. He says, when the cattle cars opened, people couldn't see because they didn't see for days. And they all of a sudden, they see this bright light, which was the sun. And they all come out, and they line up. They separated the men and the women, and they gave these... Uh, the Nazis counted five, six people, and the fifth one, every, every, five, every five or six people got one blanket, right? They did it as a twisted, uh, you, know, you know, whatever ideas that they wanted. Not everybody got a blanket. It was very cold, right, in, in Germany. The, every, five, uh, every, every six people, I'm sorry, got it one blanket. And then he said, when a person who got the blanket, he had, an, he had now a choice. He had a choice of either thinking of it, am I going to keep the blanket for me, or am I going to push it to the five other people who didn't get one to get some warmth throughout the night. And he says, it was the, during this defining moment that made Jews who they were. Because every Jew went and they pushed their blanket that they had to five other people. They took the one thing that they barely had and they shared it with everybody else. And he go, and he, with that, this rabbi stood up and he says, listen, I'm not going to take any of your time. I know you guys are big businessmen and you have t- places to go. And he says, but each one of you have a blanket. I want you to go back to America, take your blanket and push it over to five other people. The lesson here is unbelievable. You see, the, the Holocaust, people think, okay, when I have enough money, I'll donate. I won't have to dip into my 401k. I won't have to go to my savings. I won't have to go open and take it from the CDs. I have, you, the Holocaust, they had nothing. The blanket that they had was barely enough for them, yet they shared it with somebody else. People think that there's an excuse. If you don't, if you don't have money, there's no excuse. You still have to donate money. You still have to give tzedakah. You still have to give charity. We'll soon see the Holocaust. You really, you, even if you don't have any money, you are still obligated. Even if somebody is collecting money, still has obligation to give charity, right? Masal and charity is two different things, right? I don't want that to get confused. But charity, everybody, everybody has an obligation to give charity. The, 
there, there was a these, this Howard Schultz also went with the rabbi. He went uh, he went to the Western Wall with him. And when they went to the Western Wall, they saw like a bunch of people gathered over. The big rabbis are like celebrities in Israel, right? I don't know if you've ever seen that. The big, big rabbis, they go around in Israel. There is a swarm of people around them, snapping pictures, like paparazzi, like the whole thing. And uh, um, they, they, they went to the Kotel, they went to the Western Wall, and everybody was snapping pictures of this rabbi, and they were trying to get close to him. And as they're approaching him and this businessman, Howard Schultz, were going to the Western Wall, they stopped 10 yards from the Western Wall. So Howard Schultz was like, you know, why don't you uh, come, rabbi? It's, we got a little bit more to walk. And the rabbi says, no, no, I, I stay over here. And the, the, you know, so Howard Schultz is like, well, why don't you go closer? He's like, no, I never, I never came closer to, closer than this. So he says, but rabbi, why not? You could, you know, you're right here. He says, you go. He says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to go and touch the wall. Right? He says, why don't you go? Right? This is the rabbi that we're talking about over here that, you know, the lessons that you can learn is so unbelievable that people think, all right, you know, when I have a business and I'm successful, then I'll give Five dollars to this cause, you know. People are 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 foolish. Many people also think that the money is theirs. Money belongs to me. I worked for it. I earned it. It's mine. So there was once a a uh, uh, this story, true story, but uh, there was um, there was once a wealthy wealthy Hasid who. How do you know it's not a reincarnation? Maybe he came back and <laughs> it's a, yeah yeah. Yeah. Right? Or if I. That could be either way. So, so, uh, um, so now, the, there was once, thank you. So, there was once a, a Hasid who was, uh, he received his letter from his rabbi. His rabbi was Rabbi Avram Yeshua Heschel of Act. He was, uh, this, this Hasid was very, very wealthy. And the rabbi used to always send him, he says, please give money, give this X amount of money for this charity. One day, the rabbi sends him a letter. He wanted for a certain, he wanted 200 rubles for a certain, uh, for a certain cause. And the letter couldn't have come in a worse time. You know, the business was down. You know, he's working on a big deal now and, and he needs all the, he needs all the liquidity that he can. And he's like, you know, and he ignores the letter. So, a few uh, weeks go by. And one investment after another, he, this, this Hasid, this wealthy man starts losing all his fortune. So, right, what happens when people start losing money? Then they go to the rabbi, right? When I have money and everything, I don't need that. It's okay. I'm going to go, okay, right? Suddenly he goes up to the rabbi, he says, and he remembered, he remembered the rabbi sent him the money and he, and he ignored it. And he said, uh, you know, he goes over, he said, listen, you know, rabbi, what, you know, why did, why did God punish me this way? Why did God punish me? Oh, for 200 rubles, I didn't give, give for that cause. Is that why I'm getting punished? And uh, so the rabbi says, he says, you're not getting punished anything. He's like, what are you talking about not getting punished? I was a multimillionaire, now I'm nothing. So he says, the rabbi says, nothing that belonged to you was, t- that was taken away from you. He says, when I was, you know, coming down to this world, I was supposed to have X amount of money. But he says, you know, I was going to be a big rabbi. And I had a lot of people that would come to me. I had to learn a lot of Torah. I had to go teach a lot of classes. I had to, you know, people came to counsel me. I couldn't go and, and also work with, you know, it, handling money it takes a lot of time, Right? So he says, I couldn't do anything. So what I asked God and God did, he, he appointed certain bankers, right, in my state, in my stead, right? And then I would always write letters and wherever I needed money, they would send to those certain monies. He says, when you were one of those bankers, he says, when you refuse to act according to the things that I, you know, that I did. So I went and I found a different banker, you know, somebody else is going to do it. People think that the money is mine. The money that you have is for yours for safekeeping by God and God's going to see what you're going to do with it. There are many people that have $50 million, right? To live, you don't need $50 million, right? What are you going to do with the extra? Let's, 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 let's go give $100 million. Let's say you have $100 million. Everything extra that you make, why are you not giving that to charity? Because you know, people always go, oh, I'm going to build, I'm going to build more, I'm going to build more. But there's a lot of people who want to meet you. They have mentality like, uh, I'm not a teacher, so I'm not going to give money unless they reach money. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's, what's People that uh, only they lose out. Huh? Only they lose out. People that they, they so just so for whoever's in here, there are people that they think, yeah. So let let the wealthy people sponsor. Let the wealthy people sponsor. Many people think like that. It's very unfortunate because in that in that mentality, you're really thinking that the other person, the you know, like the person that's collecting money for you is you know gaining from you. You don't realize that you're making an investment. Let's say you have you know one of the biggest uh, um, you know investment bankers come over to you, where if you would go to them to invest money, you need a minimum of like $5 million. Otherwise, they don't look at you, right? Uh, the stock, you know, one of these huge firms in in, uh, in Wall Street. And the guy comes over to you and says, listen, he says, uh, you know, give me your money. I can invest it. 
says, oh, listen, you know, I know you're big, but I don't have the $5 million. So don't worry about it. Whatever you want. You're my friend. I'll do it for you, whatever you want. And he knows that this guy has a record of giving people 20%, 30% on their returns on their money. You know, and this guy, let's say, has 100 grand. He's not, of course he's going to give it. He says, are you kidding me? This is a great opportunity. When someone comes and collects charity from, from you, even if you don't have the money, you're thinking of this as an opportunity. God sent this person to you, right? You have an opportunity right now. You have an opportunity to invest. People that say, oh, don't worry about it. Go get the 5 million donors. They'll be like, all right, you're lost, not mine, you know? If you had the money anyways, they would, you know, have the track record. You mean to constantly annoy them? Right. You could follow up, but, but don't harass. Right, right. Follow up is okay. Follow up is okay as long as you don't harass. Because once you get harassed, people have a bad taste in their mouth for it. And it's not usually, you know, it's never going to help. The, um, it's their loss. It's their loss, but you can definitely keep on asking. Keep on asking, but in the right way. And you have to, you have to be smart about not, you know, uh, you know, harassing and, you know, going into uh, too much. Okay, so there was, uh, um, you know, the, the people don't understand the reward that they get for the charity. They really don't. They really they think of it, okay, let's get this guy away and give him X amount of money just to stop bothering me. Most people, why do they give charity? Somebody calls them up collecting charity, they know him, they're a friend, okay, you know what, just to stop bothering me, here's here's 100 bucks, here's all, whatever, 200 bucks, right? Just to, people don't understand that the reward is endless. I'll tell you, this is a crazy story. There's a rabbi who said over the story. He says, in Canada in the 1950s, there was a bunch of uh, uh, temples going up in this certain community in, in Canada. And it was not of the orthodox origin, right? So they had conservative, you had reform, and they had money. So they built magnificent, like, huge things with, uh, you know, everything's very nice. Meanwhile, he had a little small, you know, orthodox synagogue. The rabbi said, listen, I can't compete. I, you know, I need a, you know, people are just going to go over there, people that are in between. So he says, uh, he decides that he's going to build a magnificent, uh, you know, huge, a huge shul, a huge synagogue. And he goes and he's, uh, and he's thinking about, you know, you need, you need a lot of money for that. How am I going to, you know, nobody in the, in the Orthodox community had money. So he decided that he is going to go to the bank and ask for a bank loan. Now, nowadays, if anybody knows about anything about getting a bank loan, you can't just walk in and be like, hey, I have this business idea. Can you give me money? You have to bring papers and finances and credit. And there's so many things that come into play. This rabbi just walked into the bank saying, okay, I need some money for a good cause. Let me try to get it. Right? So he goes over. He walks into this bank. No documents of showing how he's going to make back the money and anything like that. And he walks into this bank and this, uh, the, you know, he has to speak to the bank manager. And they give him a meeting with the bank manager. He sits down with the bank manager and he says, uh, and the rabbi sits over there and he says, listen, I, uh, I want to uh, build a house of worship. So the bank manager says, okay, uh, what, uh, what religion are you? So he says, uh, I'm Jewish. He tried, he didn't want to say Orthodox. So, uh, you know, he figures, you know, the, everybody else, all the, you know, conservative, they're the ones that make all the noise and reform back then. So he says, um, uh, what denomination? So he's like, you know, push him in a corner. He says, uh, you know, Orthodox. So he says, how much money do you need? So he says, $150,000, right? If you go to the inflation, Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you for coming. If you go, <laughs> if you go, if you go according to the um, inflation rate, if you go according to the inflation rate, right, one 150 grand back then is worth roughly 1.5 million dollars, right? So imagine somebody going today asking for a 1.5 million dollar loan. The bank manager said, "You got it," right? So the rabbi was a little bit shocked and taken back, and he's like. All right, thank you. You know, you ask the questions after you take the check. You know, so uh, how did, is that so easy, like always? You know, so he says, uh, well, to be honest, he says, I see you, you know, the bank manager says, I see you, you're, you're, you have a little question look on your face. Let me explain to you why I was so eager and so quick to grant your request. He says, when I was younger, he says his father passed away. His father passed away when he was younger and he was orphaned uh, and his, his mother raised him. His mother and all his siblings raised him. So when they were uh, growing up, they had no money. They had literally nothing. The mother you know, wasn't able to work. They had nothing. So there was one guy in the corner, in the, in the community. He had, a, he had a corner store and uh, he had some you know, fruits, vegetables and a little bit of clothing over there. And he always you know, opened his door to us. He told, my, he told my mother, he says, this, uh, this uh, banker said, he says, when... when uh, when you come in here, he says, take whatever you need. I said, I know your husband, he was a good guy. He says, I know you don't have any money. You want food, take whatever you need. You want clothes, take however you need. If you want to pay me, fine. If you can pay me, fine. If not, don't worry about it. And he, and he said, he says, the only reason that we survive and I'm alive today is because of that person. Is because of that person. And that person was an Orthodox Jew. And throughout my entire life, I was like, how am I going to pay this person back? I lost contact with him. I couldn't find him. I tried to track him down. When I saw you walk into this, to this uh, um, building, I said... If this is an Orthodox Jew, 
this is my chance to repay. And when you told me, all that you told me, I said, this is my chance, and that's why I granted your request. The rabbi that said over this story was a rabbi. He was a principal of a school for 300 Orthodox kids. And he tells a story, and he says, he says, I'm the person, they built a synagogue. He says, the only reason the rabbi said is why I'm religious is because I went to that synagogue. It's because that synagogue pulled me in, and they gave me lessons, they gave me things. It says, now there's 300 children learning Torah because of that one person that donated, decided to donate. You don't know what the reward is. You're donating here to non-Jew. You don't even think it. And at the end, it comes back, 300 children are learning Torah in his merit because of that. You don't realize the value of the of learning Torah. Do we have a, a, a few more minutes? Because there's a, there's a lot of stuff we're hearing, and I realize the time is getting late, so we'll do as much as, as we can. Maybe we'll continue it next week. We'll do two parts. Um, so now the... Many people think that when they don't have enough money, if they give, it diminishes from what they actually, from what they actually own. For example, they have $10,000 in the bank, they give $5,000, in their mind, they're like, okay, and now I only have $5,000 left. And people, they're the furthest from wrong, because when you give, in fact, the Torah says that if somebody is tight on money, what should he do? You think, okay, let me try to save. No, that's when you go and you give charity. When you're tight, that's when you give charity, because you're going to see somebody who gives charity is going to end up coming back to him. Staka, whoever here reads Hebrew, there's a, there's a certain, uh, um, in, in Gematria, there's certain different types of things in numerical value. There's something called the Atbash method. The Atbash method is where you interchange letters. How do you interchange letters? There's 22 letters in the, in the, in the, in the alphabet. If you line the first 11 up, and then the second 11 on the bottom, what you could do is you could interchange those two letters that line up exactly into it. If you take Staka, which is charity, and you interchange each letter, Tzadik, Dalet, Kuf, and Hey, you're going to get up with staka again. It's going to, it all, it's the reverse of itself. Why is that? Because when you give, you get back. You think that you're going and you're giving charity and you're losing out. No, no, no. You're going to get back. In fact, there is a, uh, um, you know, I'll ask you like this. Are you allowed to test God? Are you allowed to go to God and say, listen, I'll keep Shabbat if da 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 I'll do that. Are you allowed to do that? Answer is no. But there's one thing that you are allowed to test God in, and that's charity. It says, if you give charity, they, they were asked in the, in the, it says that in the Pasuk, it says, Asel, Asel to Asel, right? Which says, it says a double, double Asel, double to give the, to give Masel. So they asked, like, Ma asked, why, why is it double? He says, Asel, Asel, Shetish Asel. Which means it's tithe, give Masel, so that you will become wealthy. So one of the students who heard this said, um, Rabbi, how do we know that? So the rabbi says, try it out. So the student says, can we test God? You know, can we actually do that? And they said, for this thing, you can't test it. He says, you go and you give money for charity, you will see, you will get that money back. You will become wealthy or you won't lose out by giving something to God. Right? And the actual halakha, the actual halakha, being that I, that I brought this up, I should say, the halakha, so the rama, the Bet Yosef, all say that if you give staka, you could, you could test God. However, the Shla and the Yavits and others, also, they say that, that, um, you should not, you should still not test God. Still, you should not test God. This is really talking about myself to, to Va. But the bottom line is, you could test God in this in this uh, method. However, there's a cer- certain criteria. One of the criteria is I have about nine criteria here, which won't have time to go through all of them. But one of the criteria is is that the, there has to be kosher money. The money has to be completely kosher for this to work. Right? You go and you give money, you'll see it come back to you. A person does not lose by giving uh, um, by giving something to God. You will never you never. And that's an idea that you could take for everything. If even if it looks like something is is not going according to you, don't lose by giving out. You don't. You never lose by giving out to God. I'll tell you this amazing story. There was uh, there was once a couple. I think this is I, I read this from uh, Rabbi Yol Gold, um, if I'm not mistaken. There was once a, a couple that didn't have children for 20 years, and they decided that they are going to try to adopt. And they were in Israel, an Orthodox an Orthodox uh, couple. So they went through all these adoption agencies, and adoption adoption is not so simple. It's not so simple. You need, you know, you have papers and you have to go file. And there's a whole bunch of things that you need to do. So they went through all these things and they had to go and they had to do some tests. There's oral tests and there's written tests to see how the level and how everything uh, works out. So at the end of the day, after months and months of vigorous testing and meetings and all these things, they finally got an admission to meet with uh, the one of the social workers. So they met with them. The social workers liked them and says, okay, why don't you come to the next meeting? We're going to have seven couples come and, and we're going to uh, run, uh, you know, uh, also more tests. So they said, fine. They make their way to Tel Aviv, right? They were living, uh, um, you know, not in Tel Aviv. They went, they went to, the, to Tel Aviv for this, uh, for this test. And they go over there, and the, the, you know, the instructor, the social worker, goes and sits all the couples down in one table. And they each have three papers in front of them, right? The husband and wife. And they say, the, the social worker with instruction says, I want you to write three things that 
that you um, that you love doing that your that are, that is your hobby, right? Three things that you love doing. So everyone's thinking, and this, you know, religious man thing is all right. This is pretty easy. He goes and he writes uh, singing. He likes to sing, and then he writes learning. He likes to learn Torah and Chesed. He likes to do Chesed. And everybody, he gets up there very quickly, and he sees, and he looks around and sees people are still, you know, concentrating, thinking, oh, walking along the long walks on beach, watching TV, movie, oh, and finally everybody, everybody finished, they put the pencils down. The therapist now goes and says, alright, now I want everybody to remove one of the things. One of your hobbies I want you to take out. So, he's looking at his three things, and he's like, alright, pretty much a no-brainer, I'll take out singing. I can live without singing, right? I have to ask still and chesed. And everybody else is looking, that, right? He's quick and everything is easy for him. He's like, alright, this is pretty simple, this is pretty easy. Then things turn a little bit difficult. Then, after everyone took one paper away, the therapist goes and says, now I want you to take another thing away. And this guy is looking and he has two papers in front of him. One is Torah and one is Chesed. And he's looking and he's like, I can't, I can't live without Torah. I says, but how, how do I not do Chesed? I can't, you know, he took this very seriously. Suddenly this easy game became very, very hard. And he's going back and forth in his mind. He's like, I can't. I don't know what to do. Finally, he's just like, he blurts out. He's like, I can't do this. I can't. I need both of them. I can't live without any one of them. Right? So the therapist looks up. And the therapist says, you know, I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, but if you're, you're just showing me that you're inflexible. So if you're not flexible, you're not, you're not eligible to, to adopt a child if you're not, a, if you're not flexible to, uh, to, to give away one of your hobbies. And they send them out of the room. And these parents just went... Everything just went straight down, right? Everything that they thought that they were finally out, finally they were going to get a child, they got disproved by the therapist, right? All for one thing. So they went and they started fighting back and says, is there anything that we can do? Is there anything that we can say and then we could maybe possibly, you know, get back? So they said, listen, what you could do is, is that you could go and you could go for therapy. At once a week, you have to go to therapy for about three months and slowly, you know, they'll be able to, to uh, coach you out of your, your unfortunate, uh, you know, sickness of being uh, inflexible. So they said, fine. They went for therapy for three months. However, they were never able to actually go and uh, pick up their diploma. Because when they were on the way to go pick up, the, after they finished the course, they finished the three months, right? They found out that she was expecting twins. Right? 20 years, they didn't have any children. So they didn't need the okay from the therapist. They got the okay from God. When you give up something, when you do something for God, you will never lose out. It might look like you're losing out for momentarily, or even for a few months, or even for a few weeks. People that start keeping Shabbat, it might look like they're getting something is hard, right? They start keeping kosher. Something is, it, it looks like they're, but you never lose out. You never lose out from, from, uh, from listening to God, from doing what, the, what the God wants you to do. There are, many people also think that, you know what, it's nice, it's nice to give, it's a nice, it's a, if I give charity, it's a nice bonus, right? And we'll be finished, guys, in, in about five. I apologize, as a five, ten minutes, we'll be done. Do I have that? It's fine. It's really my fault. It came a little bit late, so mechila. So, uh, um, but this is very important. And for your mission that you're going to do, this is the, these tools that I'm giving you tonight. You can use if you're if you're wise, even if you're not wise. Just figure it out. Just listen. And just use this information to all the earth, you know, people that you are going to donate to, or are going to try to get donations from. People think that it's nice to donate. You know, I get a mitzvah if I donate. Very nice. People don't realize it's an obligation. You have a biblical obligation to give charity. It's not a bonus, an extra thing. You have a biblical obligation to actually give charity. Right? Tzedakah and tzedek, says the Rambam, is very similar. Tzedek means justice. Justice means it's not, it's not bonus. Justice is what needs to be meted out. Tzedakah is what needs to be meted out. Someone comes, collects money from you, you have to give him. Right? You have to give him. The question is how much? In fact, not only that is... is People that, I'll give you an example. There was once a very wealthy Jew by the name of uh, Rabdon Yitzchak Abarbanel. He was very, very uh, wealthy, and he was very close with the, with the king at that time. And they, they gave him a lot of uh, hard times with, uh, you know, with uh, finances. Everybody was very jealous of him. So they snitched on the king on him and said, this guy is embezzling funds. Something's going on over here. So the king says, I highly doubt it. He's a very respectable man. I love him very much. But he says, he writes to this, uh, to this rabbi, the rabbi now says, listen, why don't you tell me, uh, what's your value? What's your, what's your, you know, how much are you worth? You know, give me all your assets and, you know, so I can see if they're really saying is the truth. So the rabbi sends back a very meager sum, a very, very small amount. So the king gets very furious. He says, what are you talking about? He says, I know for a fact there's not even 10% of what you own. And the, the rabbi goes back and he says, you asked me what I own. He says, what I own is only what I gave away to charity. Says so this is the amount that I gave it to charity. That's what I own. Says everything else that I have, you could take. You could decide you want to take it away. Do I own that? No. Says everything that I have that is mine is only what I gave to charity. You want to realize what's your assets? What are you worth? Is what did you give away? Not what you collected in the bank. When you die after 120, 
you're not bringing anything up with there with you. The bank, when you give charity, you're going and depositing it in your spiritual bank, something for the for the, you know for the for the future. There was, uh, um, and we'll finish with the with this thought. We'll do it. Uh, there was once a. Uh, um, Turnus Rufus, right? There's a the famous midrash. He was uh, like an emperor, if I'm not mistaken. He went over to Rabbi Akiva, and he says, um, "If your God loves the poor so much, why doesn't he feed them? Right? If he loves, right? Similar mentality as Sodom, right? He says, if you if your God loves the poor so much, let him feed them. So he says, uh, the rabbi answered him, says, no, we need this, we need the poor because it saves us from purgatory, which says it saves us from hell. So he says, the the emperor says back to him, he says, just the opposite." Says the rabbi, the, the God made this person poor. You're going and you're giving him money. Says, well, who are you to to, to interfere with God's? Uh, God wanted to give him money. Would have given him money. Why you're interfering? Not only should you not get saved from hell, you should be punished for that. You're not listening to God. So he and the emperor says, I'll give you a parable for that. And he says, if somebody goes and a king goes and and uh, puts in prison one of his children, one of his servants, and uh, he says, no food, no water, no nothing for you. And you go, and you sneak him some food and water. What is the king want to do for you? It's going to kill you. It's going to hang you. So he says the same thing. He says, some, God didn't give this guy money. Why are you going? Why are you giving him money? So the, so, the rab, um, so the rabbi answered back to him. He says, no, no, no. He says, let me switch around your story a little bit. The parable is a little bit differently. Let's say the king puts his son in prison. His only child in prison. Because it made him upset. And he says, I'm not giving him no food and no water. And you go, and you sneak him some food and water. The king, when he comes to you... Think he's gonna be upset or, or happy with you that you gave him? The king was angry. He was he was upset. He never wanted to hurt his son. He never wanted to you know. He will be so happy that you gave him and he will reward him for it, right? What does the pasuk say? It says we are all children of God. When somebody comes and asks money, God is so happy that you're giving him money, even though that whatever reason that he's poor. It says by you giving him money, you're making God happy. You're making uh, God happy, and this is the problem that Saddam had. Saddam was very against uh, giving money. So much they were so against giving money that. When they, uh, you know, if somebody went and claimed collecting money for them, they would give him money. But they, when they, they initialed their coins. And they said, here, why don't you take it? And everybody went over to the store and says, okay, I want to buy something. The poor people, they came and they went to the store and they saw the money was initialed by somebody else. They wouldn't accept any money, right? So people gave him money, but he would not be able to buy anything. And eventually this person died of hunger in the town. So everybody came and everybody went and found the money that belongs to them and took it back, right? In their mind, what was the whole reason? This is a very twisted process. Well, what's the whole reason for this? Their reason is, is if God made you poor, who am I to interfere with their judgment, right? That's why. You know one of the reasons that Saddam was destroyed? Saddam, there is a, there's a, in, in nowadays, there's a sexual perversion that's named after Saddam, right? Sodomy. It's named after Saddam, right? But that's not the reason that they were destroyed. The reason that they were destroyed is because of their lack of kindness, their lack of charity, right? A Jew has, a, we started off with a Jew has an, a, a, in, we are we come from Abraham. Abraham's essence was charity. Our essence is charity. We have an obligation. We have a need to go and to go and 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 uh, give money and create and collect money and all you know everything that we have to uh, we have to do. <sighs> Unfortunately, people don't understand. They don't understand the value of it. They don't understand the importance of it. They don't understand most of anything of it. Right? The little that you can do is possibly maybe maybe you could uh, go and and uh, explain to them the importance of it. Explain to them the the ability that they have. To you, the, what you, what's going on today? What you guys are opening up right now, a new synagogue is is unbelievable. But not again, like I said before, for the new synagogue. The main thing that I find and that I say is so important to invest in here is not for the place that it's going to be another place of prayer because there's a place of prayer in every corner. But the amount is is that there's going to be Torah going on here, and not just any Torah. Torah for people who need it the most. Torah for people who don't know a lot, who can know better, who are not so religious, and you can make them more religious. For that. The reward is endless. Everybody here, when you're collecting money, what you have to realize is that you bring in 10 grand, you get reward for that. You get reward for bringing in that 10 grand. Right? Somebody else brings 100 grand, they're getting reward as if they gave the money. It's the money that's going into the, into, you know, the, whatever you said it's going to begin to is all thanks to you. And I'll give you an example and finish with this idea. Imagine, anybody here familiar with stocks? Anybody know what's the most expensive stock at right now? Berkshire Hathaway. How much is it right now? If you want one stock, I, last I checked, which is, I mean, I just, re, I think it's about $190,000 for one share, right? In 1964, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know, I don't know where I wrote this down. So in 1964, if you would have bought $1,000 worth of shares, you would have had over $9 million today. You know what the value of return on that is? That's ridiculous. You right now, you're building something new. The value of returns that you have on your, on your money is going to be so endless. You're getting more than that value. You're getting more than a thousand percent on your return. 
you're getting endless percent of return. But that being said, once you donate, and you'll donate and you'll have enough and you'll find and you'll build a place. But it's not enough. You can't stop over there. The most important thing is now that you're going to have a place, you've got to bring the people. There's no reason why the room shouldn't be full every night with the, with the classes that we have going on here. Right? Every night there should be a full, a full house over here. Everybody needs it. And remember, if you can't make it, don't think that you have an excuse. You did not have the merit to come. You did not have the school to come because everybody gets a school. You get a school to, to give charity. You get a school to come to the class. If you don't class, you all right. You think all right, so I'll sleep more. Eh. You didn't have the merit. The satan worked very well against you. The satan is very hard on you. If you realize that if you would have come today, you would each walk, would have walked away with fifty grand in your pocket. You would have all made sure to come here at seven o'clock, right? And would have stayed over here until twelve o'clock. No problem. No questions asked. Every time you come learn to lie, you're making more than that. Hard to realize. Lack of knowledge. What can I tell you? But that's the truth. Any questions that we have over here? No questions. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.